The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 183 of the Book of Mormon podcast. As always, you have Kevin and Shelby here. Hey, everyone. And today we are diving in to our discussion of 35 chapter 19. We finally made it to chapter 19. Uh, chapter 18, we had to break into two parts because there was just so much. We and and we still didn't get to everything that we could have talked about. But then as I started to study this chapter, I I started reflecting on the principles that we had discussed last time. And I thought, wow, like we get to talk about it even more. You know, we get to talk about prayer more. We get to talk about the administration of the church and um, and how the Lord wants us to minister to one another. And so I'm ready. Shelby, are you ready? I think I'm ready. <laughs> okay. After after that, you set some some high expectations, which are good. So we'll we'll get there. Um we like you said, we're in 3519 and really these first few chapters, Christ has from 18, we remember that Christ ascends into heaven and now the multitude is here in 19 and they actually disperse. And they go to, it says, every man took his, did take his wife and children and returned to his own home. And you best believe that they were probably talking all night long and meditating. And at least I would have been had I been in a like general conference with the Savior, right? And what I love about that is the next sentence in verse two says, and it was noised abroad among the people immediately before it was yet dark that the multitude had seen Jesus and administered unto them. And so, of course, when you are converted unto Christ, you then want to go share that with everybody. So it's no wonder that before nighttime has even set, everybody is learning that these people got to be with the Savior, Jesus Christ. And that just shows the measure of their conversion that is already taking place within their hearts. And I wanted to take, take, I wanted to make a modern day example of the phrase noised abroad, because it also repeats this in verse three, that it goes into the night that it's noised abroad about Christ coming to um, teach among the people again. Actually, it doesn't say that. Oh yeah, it does. At the end of verse three, it says that they might be on the morrow in the place where Jesus should show himself unto the multitude. So my point of this noise abroad is this to me in our day is the power of technology and social media. We've probably talked about that on the podcast before. However, I just wanted to bring it in here that they didn't even have technology. And yet this was noise abroad immediately. And especially after all the destruction that they just went through, this is like that ray of light and sunshine that, hey, 
we have hope and we have hope and it's in Christ. Yeah. Talk about some good news, right? The good news is that we have a savior and the, that, that savior has come among his people and done exactly what he said he would do. And so what we see next is the people preparing for this uh, second session of Christ visiting and ministering among them. In verse 4, on the morrow, when the multitude was gathered together, behold, Nephi and his brother and ten other people that are named here, here in, uh, in verse 4, these are the 12 who had been chosen in the previous chapters. These are, these are the apostles, if you will, the, the 12 disciples that Jesus chose um, among the Nephites to be his, you know, to hold his authority. Because obviously he was he was only going to be there for a short time. He had some very important uh, doctrine to reinforce, and um, additionally to, to you know explain that certain things were to pass away. Right, certain things have been fulfilled by his atoning sacrifice, and so kind of a a um, some changes were made in in how they would worship and how they would do things but uh, at at the end of the day the most important thing was to communicate with their father in heaven um and so immediately well one thing that that happens is that uh, these 12 disciples they realize they are in charge of ministering to these people, to the multitude. And there's only one way to do it. They divide it up into 12 groups of people. And that way each disciple can minister directly to a smaller group of people. And so already you see some administration in the church. And if I may, I want to ask Shelby, like, do you think they... Do you think they knew to do that? Was it just was it gut instinct? Was it just the obvious thing to do? What what was that? Uh, I believe that they were given authority and power, and God doesn't need to tell you how to. They were given what's it called? Um, a mantle. They were given a mantle, but they were also given bounds with which in with within how they should work right Mm -hmm. and so yes there wasn't a rule that said hey if you have a really big multitude split up (laughs) but you don't need to be compelled in all things so they had the power and authority and they knew that their job was to minister and to teach so they said hey the best way we can do this is to divide up into groups so i don't think they knew to do that because they didn't know the multitude was going to be that big Sure. So they got there and they made a game plan and they went with it and it was perfect. Right. right? It's an example of you don't need to wait around for the Lord to tell you what to do. If you have a calling, then do something. (laughs) Right. 
Right. The, the last thing the Lord wanted them to do was sit on your hands until I show up. Right. Right. So the multitude are there. They are, they're hungry for something, right? They, they came for a reason they need to be ministered to. And that was their call. And that's what they did. And I love it. Yeah, I do too. And I also mentioned this to you earlier when we were uh, studying together. And I thought, man, here you are just called 12 apostle. Then you come up with this plan to go administer to all the people because they're so big. So you're going to go by yourself <laughs> and minister kind of a little bit intimidating, right? This is your first big thing. However, because they had that power and authority, I could only imagine they felt comfort and strengthened, even if they did feel a little bit of trepidation. Sure. So. And and what's awesome here is that they, they immediately, they caused that the multitude should kneel down upon the face of the earth and should pray unto the Father in the name of Jesus. And in verse seven, and the disciples did pray unto the Father also in the name of Jesus. And it came to pass that they arose and ministered unto the people. So they begin with a prayer, right? They invite the spirit, you know, this holy, this holy communication that I've been trying to study personally over the past, really the past year, <laughs> but it's been coming up regularly every so often in the podcast. And oftentimes I'll revert back to talking about my earnest efforts um, to, to cease vain repetitions, to try and, and get to a higher caliber of prayer for myself. And I think of times when I really needed to be suckered by the Savior times when I was really, really struggling, those were the most fervent, uh, heartfelt prayers. And then in times of, of ease, I would say, or, or in, in passing, they become less, less fervent. <laughs> but last week, when I shared that quote from, um, from Elder Bednar, in his talk, Pray Always, that was so powerful. He, he talked about how the prayer that you said yesterday is building upon the prayer that you said this morning and will build onto the subsequent prayers. And so don't think of them as unrelated. So the, I guess the reason that I bring it up is here, they pray. That was That's building upon the prayer that Jesus had prayed the day before. And then before the end of this chapter, we're going to see Jesus praying as well. And so, you know, what, first of all, what's the Lord trying to teach us about prayer and, and its importance in these scriptures? But second, how important it is to be made known because Mormon also included it, right? He didn't breeze over the prayers, you know, and I'm, I'm talking forever here, but the last thing I'll say is, don't we sometimes just take for granted that we're going to begin a meeting and end a meeting with prayer. And even in, in general conference, what do I say, Shelby, when, when a, a prayer ends and it was, it was short and sweet, mm -hmm. right? As if it needs to be short, right? As if let's get to the real stuff, which is the talking. This guy was just 
communicating with God, you know? Mm. So I rest. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess I didn't so much focus on the praying part. I focused on what they were praying for. Mm. And that's in verse nine, that they wanted the Holy Ghost to be given unto them. And it was a desire of their hearts. And so I think that teaches us something about prayer, right? That it's okay to express your desires in prayer. And sometimes they might not align with God, right? And those are the those are the prayers that I think are most powerful because it's you wrestling with God, giving up your favorite sins or desires and aligning them with his and having him bless you in ways that you can't imagine, right? And so they want the Holy Ghost here. And as they're praying, it says, and when they thus prayed, they went down to the water's edge and the multitude followed them. And at this point, they begin to baptize because they have the authority and the power to do so, right? And what happens when you're baptized? You're dunked in the water, your sins are washed away, you are forgiven, and then you are given the gift of the Holy Ghost. And wasn't that what they were praying for, right? So we see an answer to a righteous desire come to pass within a few verses, which shows the power of prayer as well. This was immediate. However, it's not always immediate, and I can attest to that, but righteous desires will, I think Jeffrey R. Holland has even said this, that they will become fulfilled. And our part is to just continue praying and hoping in Christ and moving forward. And so that's what I took away from these few verses of the prayer leading to baptism, leading to the Holy Ghost coming upon them. So I know this isn't what you meant, but because this is also something that I've thought about in the past, the the water of, of baptism is not what washes away the sin, right? And it the reason it comes to my mind is because in this last general conference, Elder Renlin actually emphasizes that, that he he says... When he was eight years old, he made that mistaken presumption that the it was the water of baptism, but really it's the atoning sacrifice of the Savior. So, which leads me to my next point, which I, I never get a satisfactory answer for this, and I, I, I'm not asking the question to get an answer today, though if a listener would uh, knows it or, or has a thought, please share it with us. But why were they not already baptized? I mean, this is this is not they this is not a new thing. Baptism didn't just get introduced. They were baptizing people uh, back in the waters of Mormon with Alma. And yeah, so well, this is a long time since the waters of Mormon. Yes, yeah, so the so we assume we can we can assume that because these twelve were given the authority, that authority had been lost or or, or it was not readily worthy priesthood holders. It was not readily available to be baptized for the the last, you know, 50-ish years. Um, okay, that's fine. 
Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put a time frame on it, though, right? Well, I'm thinking that these men were were grown. These are these adult mm-hmm. were adult men. Um, and obviously, they go to to baptize many other people in the same instance. But most importantly, again, I'm not looking for an answer, but it's interesting that they were all baptized, and then. The fact that they they knew that first they pray for the Holy Ghost and then they proceed to be baptized so that they can get the gift of the Holy Ghost, right? And the power of the Holy Ghost comes upon them and fills them. So that's that's what's most important here. I believe it was Elder Holland who said that... Um... When Jesus wasn't there anymore, what's the thing they desired most after that, right? If we can't have Jesus, then who can we have? And that's the Holy Ghost, right? It's here in the verses. And the Holy Ghost, as we discussed last week or last episode, that it is a member of the Godhead and it's a God. The Holy Ghost is a God. And so they wanted a God that could always be with them because obviously Christ has commandments and rules that he's abiding by as well. So he can't always be with us. However, because the father knows that is why he gave his Holy Spirit, his Holy Ghost to us. And so I just think that's important that we know that while we can't have Christ physically here we can have his Holy Ghost, which is a God, to be with us always. And that's important to remember when we're renewing our covenants every week when we partake of the sacrament, we're asking a God to walk with us. And so that's why when we do things that offend the Holy Ghost, it leaves because God can't be in unclean places. And if we're watching things that are even a little bit unclean, he's out, right? So just a thought. A lesson I need to learn <laughs> as well. Right, definitely. We're we're not um, we're not preaching from some high horse. In fact, I said watch because I know there's TV shows I should not watch that a god would not watch. Right. Now, some things start to happen after this. They they baptize themselves, right, um, or one another, and then they receive the Holy Ghost, and then they they go to. Uh, commence baptizing um well actually does it it doesn't say they baptize other people does it he came out of the water being nephi and he baptized all those whom jesus had chosen and verse 13 is where we're at and it came to pass that when they all baptized and had come up out of the water the holy ghost did fall upon them and they were filled with the holy ghost and with fire and behold they were encircled about as if it were by fire and it came down from heaven and the multitude did witness it and did bear record of it. And angels did come down un- out of heaven and did minister unto them. And so this, this ministering of angels, this, this incredibly, you know, majestic, holy experience. And I always, you know, whenever angels show up, I start wondering who they are in relation to those who are ministering. Uh, or being ministered to. And I think of, you know, are these some of the, you know, uh, ancestors 
you know, of the people and, and things like that. Like they're coming in and rejoicing with them. Um, and so, and while all the minister, all of the angels are coming around, lo and behold, Jesus appears among them. Right. So he, so I think this is kind of like an ensemble, if you will, like the, the angels come down and they were really just kind of like coming down with Jesus and, and now he's among them again. Is he among, clarifying question, is he among the 12 or the entire multitude? Because I'm reading this as he's among the 12. In verse 16, and it came to pass that he, Jesus, spake unto the multitude. So he does come okay. to the multitude again. But I know what you're you're looking for, which is what we've kind of been honing in on is when does he address the 12 and when does he address the multitude? Um, just an interesting little thing to pick up on through this, this reading. He commanded them that they should kneel down again upon the earth and also that his disciples should kneel upon the earth. It came to pass that they all knelt and they should pray. <laughs> lots of praying which you have some thoughts on that that you wanted to share well i had uh, apparently 10 minutes last week of thoughts and so i don't i, I wanted to give an opportunity to someone else and and since <laughs> i no it's fine no you had really good thoughts my my joke here is that i'm i want to share a clip from oh. Then Elder Nelson, um, who had some thoughts that he shared at a priesthood session, um, and we will we will actually insert that here in a minute. But the the reason that prayer is on my mind, I shared this at the beginning of the episode today. But again, they there's no way that they could just be a brief. Um, brief little, you know, prayers about nothing, right? These, these prayers, they're not recorded, but they have to be some of the most exquisite and marvelous prayers that you've ever heard, you know, and, uh, you know, Heavenly Father, he's not down among the people, right? Don't you think he would want to be? Don't you think he'd want to be with his children at this moment? But instead, he has his son who, you know, works on his behalf and and he's down there with them. And so, you know, how important it is, is it for the father to hear from his children and from his beloved son? And so Elder Nelson will take it away. How else can we increase our power in the priesthood? We need to pray from our hearts. Polite recitations of past and upcoming activities, punctuated with some requests for blessings, cannot constitute the kind of communing with God that brings enduring power. Are you willing to pray to know how to pray for more power? The Lord will teach you. And so that's just that, that what, what hit me the hardest 
by what Elder Nelson said there was, you know, that it it can't be that the prayers that we say, they can't just touch upon the events of the day and make a few general requests. Like they have to be really heartfelt. And, and this goes back to what Elder Bednar taught last week um, from his talk that was, you know, you need to have real intent. And these things, they need to be, they need to be the the issues that are the, at the front of your mind. Um, and so, and, and, you know, what, what it teaches me from these scriptures is that what's, what's most at the forefront of the Lord's mind in these passages, because he knows that this is great, that these people will be blessed by his ministry among them. But once he's gone, they have to keep going and it won't be but many, a few hundred years and they'll be, they'll be in dire straits again. You know, that's the, the tragedy of the Book of Mormon. I think, you know, the, the, the eventually they do face utter destruction because of their iniquity, because of their inability to, to hold to that rod that Lehi saw and, you know, press forward. So. I love this part of the chapter because it correlates directly to third, not third Nephi, John 17 in the New Testament. Because as he's kneeling and they're kneeling all together, Christ then turns around and goes and prays by himself. And it says, it starts in verse 19, where Christ departed out of the midst of them and went a little way off from the earth and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, and then it goes into the words that he says, which correlate and have some symbolism and meaning from John 17 as well. But it's interesting to hear what he prays about the people. Um, Just briefly, he prays that that will give them the Holy Ghost, that they will believe in the words, right? Um, he also prays unto them that they'll continue to believe on the words of the Holy Ghost. And I have noted here in verse 24, he says, And now, Father, I pray unto thee for them. And this right here to me signifies the intercession that Christ makes on our behalf to the Father. Because he's saying, I'm praying to you or thee in behalf of them. And also for those who shall believe on their words, right? Even people I haven't even met yet, he's praying for. Well, he knows them. (laughs) But in my human brain, you know, that's how I think of it, that there's power in praying for people that you may not have even met yet. And what he's praying for is that they will believe in Christ and that as he is, that that will believe in Heavenly Father and that they will all be one, right? Or become one as the Father, Holy Ghost, and Christ are one. And that's so important because he talks about having unity. He says, thou shall have no disputations among me. And so how here's how you create the unity. I'm going to pray for you to be unified with me and the Father and the Holy Ghost, because that will create that and you will not have disputations because you'll be working in the Holy Ghost and you'll have that unity. 
and you'll be one, one heart, one mind, right? And I think that's super important to know as he's praying. And the other thing is that as Christ wraps up his prayer here with the Father, he comes into the disciples and he sees that they continued praying without ceasing to pray unto Christ. And they did not, quote, multiply many words. So they weren't using those vain repetitions that Kevin has been talking about. They were praying for the desires of their heart and really praying with intent. And once again, the Father, or Christ, fulfills those desires. And he says, for it was given unto them what they should pray, and they were filled with desire. So they knew what to pray for because of the spirit that they had originally asked for in the very beginning of this chapter, right? In Romans 8, 26, it says, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit maketh itself, maketh intercessions for us, which groanings, which cannot be uttered. So when you don't know what to pray for, if you're praying right, the spirit's going to guide your prayer. And it's going to make an intercession for you to know what to pray for. If you've ever had times where you finish a prayer and then a thought comes to your mind, that's the spirit (laughs) telling you what to pray for. And so I think we just learn a lot about Christ praying for us here, praying for that unity, talking to the Father, being that intercessor for us, the mediator. And then we learn about how as this is happening, the people were never ceasing to pray. And they're doing so because they're aligning themselves with the spirit and letting that make an intercession for them in their prayer. And because of that, they are actually blessed even more with the light of Christ. And it says that they're actually white as the countenance and the garments of Christ. And really, I believe that means that they're, they're becoming um, transfigured, right? Right. Not necessarily like a white skin color, but white as to represent purity and holiness and things like that. Yeah, something changed mm-hmm. in them, um, if if only briefly, so that they could have this experience with the Savior. And again, like a, an experience with their Father in Heaven, who they can't be in His presence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how they are. Let me let me back up because I think you really you I believe I saw it highlighted on your screen over there <laughs> in your scriptures, but in verse twenty four, it talks about after Jesus prays, um, you know, thanking his Father in heaven for giving them the Holy Ghost and and praying that you know as as they are obedient unto the commandments that they'll be one as he and his Father are one. Right after he prays. It um it says that he came unto his disciples and behold they did continue without ceasing to pray unto him and they did not multiply many words again you know succinct uh, clear communication for it was given unto them what they should pray and they were filled with desire the fact that they were filled with desire I I know you like desire you like to focus Mm -hmm. on desires and things like that so it's interesting they were filled with desire filled with that um that that intent to 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 have this 
change of heart, right? Sanctification. A sanctification, yeah. I also wanted to point out, and I didn't recognize this until I went to the student manual in the Book of Mormon, in verse um, in this chapter, in verse 18 and 22, it says they did pray unto Jesus. We are actually commanded to pray unto the Father, right? Meaning Heavenly Father. But here, they're praying unto Jesus. And I wanted to give some insight into this in case someone who has ever read these scriptures or is wondering why are they praying to Jesus. We have some modern insight revelation into this specific circumstance here uh, from modern day prophets. Uh, I'm just going to read it because I feel like it's important to read. It says, there is no place in scripture where we are taught to pray to Jesus. In this unique instance, however, the disciples offered prayers to the son instead of the father. Elder Bruce R. McConkie suggested a reason why this may have occurred. There was a special reason why this was done in the instance and on a one-time basis. Jesus had already taught them to pray in the name of the Father, which they first did. Jesus was present before them as a symbol of the Father. Seeing him, it was as though they saw the Father praying to him. It was as though they prayed to the Father. It was a special and unique situation. It should also be noted that the Savior specifically stated that the people were praying to him on this occasion because he said, quote, I am with them in verse 22. Furthermore, on this occasion, quote, they did not multiply many words, for it was given unto them what they should pray. Third Nephi 1924. So I just thought that was a really insightful situation here uh, because they were praying unto Jesus rather than the Father in this moment. But because Christ was with them and a symbol of the Father, it was a unique circumstance given to these people at this time. I think it's safe to say that everything about this is unique, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, and, I would agree. But I, I didn't catch that because when I read Pray Unto Him, mm-hmm. I figured they he, he was just talking about praying unto the Father. And if I'm being honest, I didn't catch it either. But there may have been those who studied or who come on this podcast years later who want to know more about it. And so I just thought it was important to note because it could be, you know, my mind often thinks in, I don't want to say defense mechanisms, but I just think what if someone brought this up to me and is like, well, why were they praying unto Jesus here when you're commanded to pray unto the father? Like, I don't know why my brain thinks that way, but it just does. (laughs) And to me, this is something that would be a great knowledge to have and a great testimony to have of this unique circumstance and how they didn't need to do that because the father Christ was already with them and he is one with the father as we even see in the prayers that he prays. Right. So anyway, that's why I just thought I would share. I think there's also a lot of, you know, they're, they're doing this round about the temple. Right. And, you know, we talk about well where if the if Jesus came to the earth today, where would he go? He'd go to his temple. Right. I've I've heard that a few times. Right. Because it's his house. And, you know, the the temple back then, maybe not as, as strictly closed as it is in modern days, you know, in terms of structure. And so round about the temple is also considered kind of like the greater temple area. And so Things are things are happening there that don't normally happen outside the temple, right? Uh, intimate experiences 
with the savior because that's his house. That's where he rules, right? And and furthermore, it's you know it's his earth, this is you know his <laughs> galaxies <laughs> that he rules as well. Uh, but we'll, we'll not get into all that. But you know, all I'm saying is I have no issue with them <laughs> praying to Jesus. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight somebody about why are they praying to Jesus in his house when he's ministering among them, and. You know what Jesus says in verse 26? He says, pray on. <laughs> he does. He comes back and he sees, you know, their countenances are changing. They're being sanctified. And he says, keep going, right? Essentially, pray on, keep going. And then he says, all right, they're good. I'm going to go pray more for them, right? right. You keep praying and I'm going to keep praying for you too. Because he sees the faith of these people which is so important, right? He's seen this in action and he goes and he prays even more for these people. Again, I mean, I hope, I hope, actually, I hope I am a, like a broken record on this podcast right now. You know, there's something the Lord is teaching us about prayer and about its importance. And I know that I have a weakness and it's prayer. And, um, and that's not always been the case. I've had seasons in my life where my prayers were top notch and, you know, lately, uh, just not this, not the case. And so I think the Lord's, the spirit's just really teaching me a lot or, or trying to teach me some things despite my weaknesses. But, um, this prayer that Jesus offers, he, he thanks his father, right? And he goes on, he, he talks about the purification that they've they've gone through. Um which is interesting and and we talk about, you know, they were baptized, they were sanctified by their willingness, their desire to to come unto Christ through covenant. Go ahead. No, actually finish. I was gonna move on to the next part. Yeah. he ends the prayer. But if you had something more to say, sorry. Well, and, and he he continues in verse 29, says, Father, I pray not for the world, but for those whom thou hast given me out of the world. And when I followed the, the footnote to John 17. 17, verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest me... Uh, thou gave us them me and they have kept thy word so it's not like this is a small this is not just, these are the people that christ was given it's it's that they chose him they've come out of the world and chose him they've in a way they've given themselves mm -hmm. to christ and because of that they were purified and as as he's well, this is interesting. It says in 30, and when Jesus had spoken these words, he came again unto the disciples. So he finishes his prayer and then he sees them still praying, quote, steadfastly without ceasing unto him. And he did smile upon them again. I would love to have the Lord smile upon me because I am praying correctly or doing the things that I should be doing. 
given that. And I love that it's without ceasing, right? So there is continual prayer going on and thoughts in mind, which is really hard to set your thoughts on him constantly and have those prayers in your heart constantly. This is a big ask. However, they are in a unique situation, as we've said before right now, where they can continually have their thoughts be drawn out towards him, right? And without ceasing. Um. Anyway, then he goes to pray again. <laughs> but then we don't get insight into this prayer because it says in 32, and tongue cannot speak the words which he prayed, neither can be written by man the words which he prayed. So the multitude um, does hear and bear the record and they understand the words that are prayed, but it cannot be written because of, I'm assuming, the the depth and the richness and we can't even understand, I believe, in our human minds what he may have prayed and the sacredness for that fact. Right. Whatever, whatever the content, we know the reason and the reason is that in it's stated in verse 35, so great faith have I, this is Jesus speaking, never seen among all the Jews, wherefore I could not show unto them so great miracles because of their unbelief. And he continues and, and finishes out the chapter. Verily I say unto you, there are none of them that have seen so great things as ye have seen, neither have they heard so great things as ye have heard. And as Shelby knows, because we, we actually talked about this earlier today in preparation for the podcast, I immediately thought of President Nelson's um, prophecy or, or um, yeah, his, yeah, his, his prophetic prophecy. his prophetic announcement um, from the uh, I believe it was last October, twenty twenty two general conference where. He mentioned that, um, you know, I linked it so that I could say it word for word. And for some reason, it's not linked correctly. This, the Gospel Library has been having a few little bugs lately. We also talked about that earlier <laughs> when we were studying. <laughs> he says... I can find it if you want. I'll paraphrase okay. for the moment that in the coming days, there will be greater manifestations of the power of Jesus Christ than the world has ever seen. And there are a couple times throughout the scriptures, ever since he said that, that I'm like, wow, there are scriptural accounts of some incredible things. And you're saying that there's going to be more incredible things than that coming in the coming days, not coming years, coming decades, but coming days, right? And I, I often will link, as I study the scriptures, these marvelous accounts, and I'll link it straight to that statement. And I'm thinking like, hey, you ain't seen nothing yet, is basically what I, I get from that. And if I can, from that talk, I found it really quick. I didn't find that specific thing, but I did find this. He says, my plea to you this morning is to find rest from the intensity, uncertainty, and anguish of this world by overcoming the world through your covenants with God. And they just made covenants with God. Well, we know the 12 then, right? right? Um, and we know they will as well. But that is overcoming the world and having these greater manifestations be had is through our faithfulness. Let's bring more of these 
miracles through our faith. That's how that's what happens. Faith precedes the miracle. And so anyway, that was just I thought of covenants and that and the more that we link ourselves to Christ and continually remind ourselves of those covenants that we have made, we are just more and more continually, I would say, praying unto him because <laughs> we're trying to figure it out. So, yeah, there's been a lot of repetition in this episode. However, everything is expedient and there's something that we all can learn about prayer. And I hope that we just dove into a deeper side of prayer that we've never really considered before. Right. Yeah. Pray always. Like literally. And I think that means having your thoughts towards him. Mm-hmm. Right. Center everything on Jesus Christ. And you'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. Well, that is chapter 19. That's a wrap. Whew, we ne- did it. Next time <laughs> we're going to be uh, back in sacrament meeting with the Savior. Chapter 20. Um there's going to be more that he'll teach us as he uh, as he ministers to us. And if I can just do a spoiler, in verse one of the next chapter, he commands them that they should not cease to pray in their hearts. <laughs> so we're even getting more prayer next week there. Yeah. So keep praying, guys. <laughs> See you next week. Bye, y'all. Bye. My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open and you will receive answers to your own questions and direction for your own life.